Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, you're in for an absolute treat. I am interviewing Dr. Henry Lee. Now, I wanted to find somebody in the world of forensic science. You know, I like to talk to people from all walks of life doing all kinds of interesting jobs. I've dabbled in, I guess, the true crime world before when it comes to speaking with someone who was exonerated after 16 years in prison for, you know, murder they didn't commit. I interviewed the lawyer for Timothy McVeigh, which was the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, talking all about, you know, defending the indefensible, so to speak. I interviewed the detective who went went on to uh, catch the Green River Killer and then become a congressman. So I've dabbled in a little bit, but not a ton. But all of these have some kind of forensic science attached to them, some kind of science that helped figure out who the the murderer was or who the the mass bomber was or, or all these different things. Forensic science plays a huge role in our world today uh, when it comes to crime. Most of us knows about you know know about forensic science. You know, there's there's forensic files and all of these T V shows kind of glamorize forensic science and and the scientists behind them. So I wanted to see exactly how much of it is accurate what forensic science is, you know, a somebody who was doing it, and I'm just, uh, I'm absolutely thrilled that I got to speak to Dr. Henry Lee. This is kind of like, you know, going out and trying to uh, to find somebody who plays basketball to learn about basketball, and then interviewing Michael Jordan. So it was, uh, it was, it was amazing, and and I think I picked a kind of a, a, a example that a lot of people would know, but. Uh, if you don't know, that basically means I, I wanted to talk to somebody in forensic science and talk to one of the one of the top people in, in history when it comes to that. Dr. Henry Lee has been in the forensic science world for, for decades, since the late 60s. He has been a part of all kinds of cases, the Kennedy assassination, Michael Peterson, Chandra Levy, John Benet Ramsey, just some some huge, huge, huge cases. Uh, if you're from America, those are those are some of the the biggest cases out there. Oh, O.J. Simpson, can't forget that one. So, just some some big stuff. If you're from the U.S. or even if you're not, those cases literally kind of grip the country at some point when it comes to true crime. Those are those are some of the biggest cases of all time, and. Somehow, Dr. Henry Lee has worked on every single one of them. So, uh, like I mentioned, this is uh, this is the pinnacle when it comes to uh, forensic science, and I was uh, I was so so thrilled to speak with him. Dr. Henry Lee has retired five times already. He is uh, still works as a, a lecturer at the University of New Haven in Connecticut. Uh, he works at a at a place called the Henry C. Lee Institute of Forensic Science. So that just shows just how how big of a person he is in the world when uh, where he works is named after him. He is 84 years old, and uh, you'll see he is uh, 
sharper than than anyone I've ever ever spoken with. He is still still on the top of his game. I don't believe that he takes new cases anymore, but we we go through what forensic science is. We go through how he grew up in in Asia and and moved here, how he got into the world of crime. Uh, he was in the uh, police force back in in Asia and uh, then came to the United States. Kind of a funny story of how he got involved in uh, criminal justice when he did. We we talk about uh, his early days. We talk about some of his his biggest cases. He does talk quite a bit about Michael Peterson. I I asked him just to kind of on a list of, of his cases, which one he wanted to talk about rather than make him talk about one that he doesn't like as much. Um, to talk about. Uh, Michael Peterson's the one that he chose, which of course is the, the case with the staircase and Kathleen Peterson, Michael Peterson's wife, falling down the staircase. And was it murder? Was it uh, something else? He was uh, instrumental in uh, in figuring out that it was, was something else. And, and after eight years uh, getting a retrial for Michael Peterson, then Michael Peterson is now free. So that was a big one. Uh, you know, I asked him about some of the most uh, impactful cases to him, and uh, not surprising to me, he he mentioned a case that no one's ever even heard of. Um, you know, the the cases that make the news aren't always the most impactful, uh, and he he gives kind of the story of how that that all happens as well. Uh, this is just such an amazing conversation. Of course, the when I have these huge guests on, I always do something silly. Uh, my my microphone was doing something a little bit weird. Uh, I fixed it pretty well. You'll see that Dr. Henry D does most of the talking, so I don't uh, I don't think it'll bother you too much. I do sound a little bit a uh, little bit like I'm away from the microphone. I, I didn't have the right microphone plugged in, so my apologies there. Uh, but uh, this is a, a powerful one. Whether you just want to hear an amazing story from an amazing guy who has uh, shaped uh, shaped part of our, our history. Um, or whether you uh, are really big in the true crime world, I know you're going to enjoy this one. So here is Dr. Henry Lee. I'm here today with Dr. Henry Lee. Dr. Lee, how are you? All right. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I'm, it's an honor to speak with you. I want to kind of just start at the very beginning and work our way to now. You've had quite the, the career, but I know that you, I believe, were born in China uh, and then you immigrated to the United States. Talk a little bit about, I guess, that childhood and, and moving to the United States. What inspired you to do that? Okay. I was born in 1938. That's a lot of years ago in a small city in China. During revolution, my family, my father and mother took all the siblings. Uh, we moved to Taiwan. Unfortunately, my father died of a shipwreck. So when I was nine years old, I lost my father from a rich family to a very poor family. My mother had to raise all 13 kids. That's why a lot of people ask me who I respect the most. I tell them my mother. Who I scare the most? My mother. <laughs> uh, she is a wonderful lady. Make sure each of us finish our terminal degree, which each of us have a profession. But when I was 18 years old, I joined a Taiwan Police University, become a cadet. Then uh, 1960s, I became a police captain, working in a police force. After five years, 
working at the police department, I realized solving cases in early days is bank on the interrogation uh, witnesses. So those take technique to extract the information. Sometimes it's not really the total truth. A lot of innocent people may force you into a confession. So in 1964, 65, I decide to further my study to come to United States to get my terminal degree. That's why in 1975, I come to U.S. to pursue my degree. So subsequently, I got my second bachelor's degree from John Jay in New York City. And I continue to finish my master's degree and my PhD in molecular biology by chemistry from NYU mm-hmm. um, Center. Well, I have to make a living. So I work at the NYU as a technician or so. We'll wait on tables, teach Kung Fu Karate to make some uh, money to pay the tuition to raise my family. So finally, 1974, I finished my doctor degree. I joined University of New Haven in 1975 as a assistant professor in forensic science. That's how I got back my dream to mm-hmm. use my uh, investigative experience with my scientific knowledge to combine them together to develop a field of forensic science. I love it. That's a, that's amazing. And and you're still at New Haven. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your role now. But since 1975, you've been at the same university, which is amazing. But I want to ask you, I guess, kind of in, in the middle of, of all of, of what you were just saying, you, know, you talked about how you went to, you know, a police academy in Taiwan. What made you first interested in criminal justice to begin with? Your mom did a great job of getting all of her kids to, you know, get a, a uh, lucrative profession. But what made you to pick criminal justice? Well, excellent question. When I entered the uh, police college in Taiwan, the uh, professor first first class first question is ask uh, us why you want to become a police officer because uh, that time pretty difficult. Uh, to get in because the um, college and university charge a pretty expensive tuition. Police university is free. So they only take 50 cadets. Of course, uh, when my turn, they ask me, I just said, my family too poor. <laughs> I can't afford a regular university tuition. And the professor was laughing and uh, he said, that's the truth. You are an honest person. Some people say want to serve the people. Some people say want to solve the crime. Well, some want to repay the community. So I'm the one. You know, I I just don't have money. My I don't want my mother to pay my college to to tuition again. So that's how I started. But uh, I really like the police. Uh, university education, I learned so much. Learn the self-defense technique, shooting, and uh, learn how to use the weapon, when to shop, what not to shop, uh, how to investigate. Of course, that's my <clears throat> main interest is the investigation. 
I mean, I don't know what the other 50 cadets did, but that just goes to show you that, you know, somebody's monetary situation really doesn't mean very much in the grand scheme of things. Cause I, I would assume you're probably the most accomplished of that 50 cadet class that you're in, but who knows? I want to ask you now um, a little bit about, you know, we talked about, or we're going to talk a little bit about some of your large cases. You've, you've been part of some of history's biggest cases really in the last 40 years, but how did you, I guess, gain that expertise? How did you get people to want to reach out to you and, and ask about those cases? Obviously you've got to build some, some relevance <laughs> for people to, to even ask you. So how did that happen? Was there one case that you worked on that then, you know, people started hearing about it? What's that look like? Uh, just now, I talked to a group of a high school student from Notre Dame High School. And uh, one of the students asked me, I said, Dr. Lee, you have uh, such an excellent career. How you did it? Mm-hmm. I said, pretty simple. Work hard. Mm-hmm. Nothing is easy in this world. Nobody born with the knowledge. Hard working is something we, the younger people, we should uh, learn to do that. Take shortcut. One area you like, a dream you you want to do. I tell them there are thousands, thousands different jobs in the world. Just find something you feel comfortable. Then passionate about it. Once you're passionate about it, you have to work hard to gain the knowledge, to gain the experience. You can now put your knowledge, your experience together to fulfill your dream. I'm in forensic investigative field for almost 64 years. Hmm. I'm still working 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. You can say that's workaholic, but on the other hand, the average American only work about 16, 1,600 hours a year, mm-hmm. 3,200 hours sleeping, uh, 1,000 hours of uh, eating, drinking, and uh, waste of time, about 3,300 hours, meaningful chore, about 700 hours. So think about it, the distribution of the time. We only have 24 hours a day. If you don't maximize your time to learn, to study, to work, you just look at the history. All those people successful, hardworking. That's the first thing. Time management, self-discipline. And once you start gaining knowledge and work with other people, learn from other people more senior than you, then develop. Try to put the new idea, new innovative idea into the work. That's how you can success. Doesn't matter which field you're choosing. That's powerful. Time management is something that I speak to to my students about too. I mean, it's it's a huge thing where everyone thinks they don't have enough time, but like you just broke it down that exactly we, we waste a lot of time. And the easiest way to realize that we have more time than we think is if your water heater breaks and it's flooding your basement and they say you, you need seven hours, suddenly you just created seven hours that if I would have told you that, give me seven hours, they would say, you would say, I don't have any time for that. So <laughs> you make, you make. Just time. look at you, look at you. So many people try to do podcast. Why are you successful? 
why other people not because just try to contact me how many emails want to get me on your podcast or persistence your devotion that's what I respect people want to do something just like uh, your preparation you interview me you probably say okay we only have limited time what question I'm going to ask Dr. Lee Meanwhile, I got up four o'clock this morning, continue working, just finished talk to a group of a high school student, try to, because if we all take our time, talk to the student, try to teach them something, to set a role model. Don't use drug, don't drink excessively, be somebody, work hard. And uh, if every, each time, we save a couple of students mm. in a year in our lifespan. That's why a lot of my students, now they all retire. They still come back to see me. Dr. Lee, you're still working. You changed my life. And uh, thank you so much. It's so important when I was a student. So my professor changed my life. My mother changed my life. So this is a, the world, we have to set a good example for next generation, how to live together, how to work together, how to change, make this environment, this world a better place for human beings. Absolutely, yeah, and you're talking about teaching things. I never wanna assume that the listener knows you know, everything that we're already talking about. So I wanna go to kind of the basic level. We talked about obviously you being a, a leading expert when it comes to forensic science. In the broadest journalist terms, what is forensic science for somebody who has never, uh, I guess, never caught an episode of, of CSI? Okay. Forensic science, this term, early days, it's a na much narrower definition. is solving crime, okay? Uh, with the publicity of... Uh, CSI or those crime movie. So now even the kids knows what the forensic science. Why well, start my teaching career in 1975, forensic science. But at the same time, also teach biochemistry and other courses. If I go to a party or function, social function, people asking me, what do you do for a living? If I say teaching, Everybody understand. The next question, what subject? I say forensic science. They say, oh, very interesting. Walk away. Right. Two minutes later, you must know a lot about trees. I say, oh, I know a little bit. Forensic, forest, that's tree. Uh. <laughs> Some people think, oh, you must travel a lot. I say, yes, because foreign, they think I'm doing foreign service. And, uh, of course, now you walk on the street, the little kid, they know forensic solving crime. But forensic solving crime just a limited definition. Forensic science, forensic evidence, besides criminal investigation being applied to civil litigations, homeland security, food, water safety, even historical verification, forensic also involving consumer protection, also involving global warming, weather, everything dealing with forensic. So forensic 
the definition is to use scientific evidence to solve the problem. Even with computer graph, with email, I, even with this uh, most recent white collar issue, also involving policy. Even with uh, our country political, say whether or not the ballot fraud or not, the um, <laughs> election real or not real, forensic evidence. Mm-hmm. You let the evidence speak for yourself. If the public accept the evidence, everything is simple. Unfortunately, the media and uh, people lie, uh, politicians, everybody try to tell some story, not everything. Some even twist the story, twist the fact. Some even make up the story. Only scientific evidence should be staying neutral, should not be changed. I like that explanation. I want you to kind of now tell me how you you've applied it because you know we're we're talking to you obviously because you have been a, a part of like we talked about some of the the biggest cases out there. Whether it was O.J. Simpson, whether it was Sean Jalevi, whether it was John Benet Ramsey, all of these different cases, the wood chipper murder, a lot of different things. Um, I'm Kennedy assassination, <laughs> I, and I'm going to ask you about that one too. Um, but I want, rather than, you know, ask you to tell me about a, a certain one, pick one or two that people know about and tell us how you applied that forensic science to these cases that everyone's heard about. Well, right now, uh, the staircase murder, North Carolina, uh, Michael Peterson case, got a lot of uh, uh, public attention. A lot of people asking me, what's the real story about Michael Peterson case. Actually, a lot of public don't know. In this country, there are 13,000 people die for of the staircase every year. People die of falling, walking, falling. It's number three cause based on CDC uh, statistics, especially when you get to my age, senior citizen, very easy to fall, either as top or staircase. That's why when I give talk to senior citizen, I say, watch you walk. Every day, do a little exercise. They ask me, Dr. Lee, you 85, you still can walk, you can run. I say, just keep your body in shape. Don't fall. When you fall, you have problem. And, uh, a lot of senior citizens, because they use, uh, they drink a little bit or use, uh, drugs, somehow very easy to disoriented and fall. With that perf tax, we talk about staircase murder in this country have a lot of famous staircase deaths. I call deaths. Not everyone is murdered. Some accident fall. Michael Peterson case, it's happened that night. It's quite a few years ago now. In South Carolina, in their home, Charlotte home, and uh, Michael Peterson was a retired from the U.S. Army, ex-Green Beret captain, highly decorated, become an author, writing books, and published quite a few pretty 
good books, some are become bestseller. Some of his book being adopted become movies. That night, he received another uh, telegram notify him he's another book going to make movie. To celebrate that, he and his wife opened a bottle of champagne and drinking, uh, sitting uh, uh, next to the swimming pool. Then he opened up another bottle of a good red wine, start drinking. It's about midnight. His wife tell him she have to work tomorrow. She going to bed now. So he don't want to waste the bottle of wine, keep drinking until two o'clock. He got inside the house, found his wife lying the bottom of the staircase, still breathing. So she, he check on her and call 911. When an ambulance arrived, she's still breathing, but uh, died of a pump, arrived to a hospital. The initial investigation, the medical examiner at the scene pronounced that as sick, that's an accident. But somehow following day, it changed 180 degree and uh, police started investigate as a homicide. They call in color, uh, South Carolina Department of uh, Investigation and uh, Chief Medical Examiner's Office. Now the case become a homicide. So I was contacted by the defense lawyer. We look at the case. We think more consistent with an accidental fall because she, based on autopsy report, she have a 0.07 alcohol concentration. But that also she used volume because she have a allergic hay fever. So that's combination alone, walk on the narrow staircase, going to be not stable. And uh, so we look at the scene, we, I examine the evidence, make a long story short, we think that's a accidental test. However, the prosecution introduced that their expert say she was beat up with a fire poker repetitively and murdered by her husband. Make a long story short, he was convicted. During appeal process, something happened because South Carolina Bureau of Investigation was under investigation because a lot of cases was mistakenly uh, introduced in court. The person testified on those evidence is the same expert uh, testify in this case. So make a long story short, after the investigation, they think uh, that so-called expert, lack of training, forgery the credential, forgery the data, say experiment. So those cases were set to retrial. And uh, Michael Peterson case, the same thing. Uh, later, uh, those cases, some are dismissed, some just uh, like a after doctoring, in other words, no longer trial, just uh, uh, let the individual out of the jail. So Michael Peterson case finally resolved, but uh, the scientific issue is pretty simple because the blood spatter found 
on the wall has no center. Those little spider we call ghost pattern with whole blood deposit on the surface. If you beat up somebody, the blood spatter project on the wall, you're going to have solid center. If an individual coughing the blood out, because if you, you receive injury, blood got to the mouth and nose, you start coughing up. Those, because have the air bubbles, come out of the, your mouth, waste the blood, hit the surface. When blood dry, air bubble busted. So you'll have a very unique pattern called ghost pattern, blood stem without center. When I test upon that phenomenon, some jury agree, uh, some probably did not, but uh, the prosecutor, expert witnesses say disagree with me. Of course, when they're, the media start twisting back and uh, try to report uh, differently, but now with the COVID, you know why keep a three feet social distance, six feet social distance? Because now they use high speed camera capture. When you're coughing, thousands of spiders come out from your mouth. That hit on your clothes or wall, go to stick in there, air bubble bust. Those dry stand going to be become effective, affect you. Now everybody look at us and say, wow, Dr. Lee, you are correct. Because she was lying there a supper. He, meanwhile, is sitting in a swimming pool, did not know uh, his wife fall, keep drinking. So it's an unfortunate accident, almost become a death penalty, a life without parole. So it's a case, scientific evidence so important. We have to learn, we have to do experiment, we have to check all the scientific facts before just go to court, say, hit with a firebook. Yeah, and that, that shows why, you know, what you do is, is so very important because it literally is life and death for, for both victims and then also, of course, the people who, who are accused. So this is a, a very huge topic to, to put into a short amount of time, but you brought up that you've done something when it comes to the JFK assassination. I feel like people hear that and their eyes or their ears perk up. What exactly did you do when it comes to that? Well, as some cases, it's not like a movie or television show. Uh, one person walk at the scene, figure out everything. I often stress the importance of teamwork. We need good detective, police officer, first security scene, detective, Dig up all the information and forensic scientists will work with the officer, collect the evidence, take to the laboratory. We have to meticulous the exam. You can't take shortcut. Sometimes when we examine the evidence, they are not hours sitting by the microscope. We at the scene, like for example, the famous worshiper murder, we work in the crime scene. Three feet of snow, we try to uh, melt the snow, find the evidence. You can't just walk five minutes and say, okay, to call, let's go home. So by the time we finish, our feet completely lost the feeling. And uh, for example, sometimes we go to a crime scene, 
the older one case we went there, 14 detectives they see, 11 have to send to the hospital, the emergency room. Sometimes we have to dig through the attic. The attic insulation is fiberglass, cancer causes aging. By the end of the day, we all look like a Pokeball. And uh, many have to get to the emergency room. But you cannot take shortcut. You have to do it. So solving cases is a teamwork. We need public to provide information. We need big database, search the database. We need physical evidence. We need intelligence to put together. Then once we have all those information, we start using the logic, deductive logic, inductive logic, uh, and adaptive logic, try to pieces everything, like to put in a puzzle. Try to figure out motive means opportunity and lead into the suspect. So I want to ask now, um, you, you, you've done so many different cases, you've been involved in so many. What's the, I guess, what's the most challenging and the most rewarding cases you've been a part of? Well, it's not those uh, O.J. Simpson case or Kennedy or uh, even President Clinton and uh, Monica. Those cases is high profile. I involved in investigate Taiwan President Gashar, Thailand, uh, legislator, a lot of high profile cases. You feel rewarding case is it's not say they give you a race or give you a medal or thank you letters. Like the one case come to my mind, it's in Manchester, Connecticut. It's middle of the winter, outside snowing. I was called to the scene. A senior citizen, old lady, her body was found on the kitchen floor. So I got to the scene, local police, state police, major crime squad, medical examiner already there. So we look at her body, had 14 stable, nine wounds, but very little blood at the scene. 14 stable, we should have a very bloody scene. So I asked all the investigator. I say, anybody notice anything different? They say, no, Dr. Lee. I say, did you guys notice that only few blood stand on the linoleum floor in kitchen? Then everybody realized. That's why they said, why they go to crime scene with me, like a living classroom. So somebody have to clean up the scene. The person found her body is the neighbor, kid, because that's Thanksgiving. Now. The neighbors made a pie. Kids send and delivered a pie to the old lady. She lived alone, found the body. So Thanksgiving, now. somebody have to know her activity and know she living alone, no, no visitors. Uh, have the time to clean up the crime scene. Doesn't matter how you clean up. A good forensic scientist always found clue. So we use laser lighting. We use chemical spraying. That night we use a chemical called tetramethylbenzene. It's a chemical which will react 
with hemoglobin, him part of the hemoglobin in human blood. The sensitivity of him, uh, teacher man's ability is one to one million. If you dilute the blood to one million part, it can still detect. Bright colorless compound become a bluish compound. So we spray on the floor, we develop a couple of shoe prints. Brand the shoe print, we know the brand name of the shoes. We know the size of the shoes. We know single person, more likely a male, wear that sneaker, AI. So based on that information, we mobilize more detective and uh, police officer search the garbage can. Of course, a lot of detective, including a commander, asking me, Dr. Lee, can we wait next morning? When snow stopped, I said, no, let's continue search because we face a risk. Tomorrow morning, garbage can maybe collect the garbage and dump it in a garbage dump. I don't know you search a garbage dump before or not. I did so many times in my life. And uh, believe me, when all this garbage dump together, very difficult to find. Even you find it, this cross-contamination lost the evidence value. So about 30 more minutes, one of the team called in the command center, found a sneaker. We rushed to the command center. We did a quick examination, the same saw pattern, same size. On the sneaker's surface, we even found some blue spot. So we collect those blood stands, sent to the laboratory. Meanwhile, serologist in the laboratory ready to do the typing. We check the sneaker. We found some hair fragment. We know it's Caucasian. We swap the sneaker to do further testing. And meanwhile, we know the suspect, more likely Caucasian, and uh, wear this type of sneaker. So, of course, intelligence, police investigation from neighbors say this old lady have a nephew living in Hartford. So they want to check his background. He's a drug addict. So by the daybreak, we already have our suspect in custody. So I drive home. The snow covered the ground. Nobody thanked me. Newspaper don't even know that case because she is a nobody, social status. And uh, I know she is in heaven. She thanked us for solving this case. That's that's powerful. That's really powerful for sure, given that, you know, every, every obviously there's cases out there that gain the media attention and are heavily scrutinized down to the detail. But then there's tenfold hundredfold more that no one knows about that's just as important if, if not more so I, I love that so do you do you have any way I mean obviously I always end these of, of people shouting out any of their social media anyway I don't believe that's is that it the case for you yeah uh but uh I already retired five times now yeah I don't take any case anymore yeah. I don't take any case anymore 
you know, a lot of people say, you will never retire. I said, retire definition. It's different with different people. I retire five times. I did, in fact, I retire five times. I said, my definition retire is not sitting there, don't do nothing. You retire, you have to say, what I'm going to do after I finish this job, I move to another hobby or profession. So keep the life going. Once you sit there, say, I do nothing, then you're going to basically, your mind, your body, go to basically die. Keep it active. Like, um, I'm probably going to retire six times, but I probably travel or lecture a little bit. I don't take any case anymore. Let the younger people uh, pass the baton to them. Good to be here at your show. And yeah. You're a wonderful person. I appreciate that. Uh, okay. So that was Dr. Henry Lee. Amazing guy. Learned so much. It did end a little bit abruptly, if you didn't notice. He is a busy guy. He, uh, you know, I kind of cut it out, but he had to he had to leave for another event. So I could have talked to him all day. That's, that's for sure. So learned a, a ton about forensics, learned a ton about his life and just the things that he overcame to, to be who he is, which is, you know, a leading expert in this world. You know, he's, he's been at it for so long, since the 60s. He's 84 years old now. If you go back and you look, you're going to see all this amazing things that he's been in, involved with, all these cases that he has helped consult with. Of course, you're going to find some criticism as well. Uh, there was some criticism a few years ago. I think that comes with the territory of uh, being in this world or being in the public light at all. I didn't want to gloss over that, um, but I do want to uh, just tell you that I was just fascinated and amazed by by him and all the amazing things that he's done. He has definitely done a lot of really great things uh, in the world uh, when it comes to forensic science and and you know frankly catching uh, catching the bad guy um, and then you know when there's not a bad guy catching uh, catching the mistakes. So I think uh, I think we all learned a lot today. And I, uh, you know, Dr. Lee's time is extremely valuable. He's uh, he's such a busy guy, and, and for him to spend a little bit of time talking to to me, and in turn you guys, is is really powerful. So, urge you to uh, to go check out some of his other lectures. There's tons of different information about him on YouTube. He's not he's not the kind of guy that uh, has a lot of social media, so not a lot of places to go follow him there. Uh, but uh, I think if you go just find anything with Dr. Lee speaking on YouTube or, or anything else that you're going to uh, to go be in for a, a really, really interesting conversation. Um, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, thanks so much. Uh, if you've listened before and, uh, and you haven't yet, go leave that five-star review on Apple and on Spotify. Leave a written review on Apple. Even more amazing. Go follow us on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast, JacksonF.com, Not Enough with JacksonF on Facebook. All those great places. Really appreciate you following along. Another great guest next week. Can't wait to uh, to have you listen to that one as well. So until then, take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.